What's going on, guys? John Hasselbauer here, golf writer for thelines.com. Uh, and this is From the Tips, where we'll be going over the 2023 Honda Classic. Um, before we get into that, make sure you are subscribed to the Lines YouTube channel and hit the uh, link below to get into the Lines Discord channel as well. Uh, that's where we've had all of our lively Monday morning discussion and ideally Sunday afternoon sweats, although it hasn't really been that that way uh, the last two weeks with the favorites kind of in, inserted, asserting their dominance um, on the field at the Genesis and at the Waste Management the week before. As it turns out, the elevated events are where the best players in the world elevate their games, which makes it a little bit difficult for us to find value on the betting board. But nonetheless, we look forward to the Honda Classic ahead this week where there is no John Rahm to worry about. Instead, um, the likes of Sung J.M. and Billy Horschel and Shane Lowry are the the behemoths ahead in this week's event. So uh, perhaps a uh, more optimistic outlook this week uh, from the outright bombs that we love to get into. Uh, before we talk any more about the Honda Classic, I want to look back at the Genesis Invitational. So much happening last week. Tiger Woods teeing it up and looking great. Um, still not great enough for me to say, oh, hop on a Masters Future ticket, but definitely seems less impossible with the way he was hitting it. Um, actually, ball striking looked fantastic the whole way, and he couldn't buy a five-foot putt um, or less, which you would think after the injury and everything that the, the putting would stay and he would have a hard time keeping the ball on the planet and all of those sorts of things. But no, it was actually, you know, he was hitting bombs off the tee. He wasn't losing it in the way that he was in the match, which is what I was concerned about, just hitting these banana slices um, left and right and just laboring through it even in a golf cart. But clearly he he knew he was healthy enough to play for four rounds at the Genesis. And I think he, he actually believes himself when he says that he can still win golf tournaments and that he wouldn't be playing um, if he didn't think he could. So... That's going to be exciting to watch at the Masters. Again, I think he'll be a little over-steamed coming off of this performance. I think it was probably a top 40 in the end, and he did make the cut on on the number. So uh, we may look back on that event and think more fondly of how he performed than, than what actually was. But uh, there's going to be some fun Tiger props at the Masters. I'm sure that's the next time that we will see him. Um, and it's great to see him back on the course. It just obviously adds a whole new atmosphere to the game of golf uh when the best player in the world and in my opinion of all time um is still teeing it up and competing with with the rest of the best players in the world um speaking of the best player in the world that is definitely john rom um i was incorrect in saying that uh rory mcelroy should have been the the favorite or the man to beat last week it's so clear that rom is the most polished all-around player uh, in the world, and, and he's coming into events where he's never really been in contention before. He's always been good at them, but Waste Management and Genesis are two great examples of courses that he has good good but not great history at, where he had typically been finishing top 10 and, and not much better. Um, and just being in contention from Thursday to Sunday, um, you know, without his best stuff. Um, so that's what makes John Rom scary right now is He's so good off the tee. That's never going to change. Um, even if he's banking it off the parking lots from time to time, in general, you remember the terrible shots, but in general, he's he's got a, a cut on repeat that he's 320 in the middle of the fairway every time. Um, so that's dangerous, and his irons are now officially clicking. 
Um, he's always had great touch around the greens and the putter was something that escaped him last year. Um, I think he was kind of getting acclimated to that new odyssey putter and it took him probably over a year to get comfortable with it. He was with Taylor made a Taylor made sponsored athlete, um, for, you know, the beginning of his entire career. And then he made the Callaway shift and with that came a putter change. Um, and it took him, I think a long time to get that last piece turned around and now it is fully, um, fully turned around. You, you feel so much more confident when you compare John Rahm to Rory and, and Scheffler that Rom's going to hit these putts that you need to make. And that's really been the difference of, of, of separating himself from the other best players in the world is when he needs to hit a putt, he does. And you kind of just feel confident that he's going to do it. He hit another bomb birdie down the stretch at the Genesis last week. Um, and he just seems to be due for one of those to go in every time you see him. He, he lines it up really well and he's confident going back to, you know, every, every time he's in a situation where he needs to get a putt, he, he hits it. So that's dangerous. Um, from a tee to green standpoint, it, it really is not that much separating Rom from Scheffler and Rory. But again, he just has the ability to turn it on in all facets. And that's a scary thing as we get into, into major season because he's clearly still young and improving uh, season over season. So watch out for Rom. I, I think this was overdue with, with the sort of winning drought that he had the year before. But but in my mind, there's no question now. He is he is one, and then there's a, a two A two B with with Scheffler and Rory, and then there's everybody else afterwards. So um, anyway, thankful to not have to worry about Rom at the Honda Classic. Um, as we look ahead to this field, it is not an elevated event. It is so brutally sandwiched between two elevated events in the two weeks before, two elevated events in the next two weeks with the API and the players coming after that. So it would be irresponsible for any top player to to play in this event. It really would. Um, it, when you compare the purses at stake this week to what's going to be in the other four weeks of the schedule, you talk about the players. That's an event that everybody wants to win. It's, it has an even higher purse than the elevated events. Um, and it has obviously almost as much prestige as a major, the closest thing to it in a non-major. So every player on tour wants to win that one. Um, and a lot of players would be in a situation where they'd have to play six straight weeks leading into the players. If they were to play the Honda, um, and you're traveling from West Coast swing to, to Florida swing. So this is just a natural bye week. A lot of people in the, the golf community talk about how golf needs some bye weeks. This is a golf bye week. I mean, you, if you don't want to track the, uh, the Honda Classic, nobody's forcing you to. You don't, you don't have to bet this week if you don't want to. I, I do tend to find that the weaker sort of flyover events are the ones that present the most value. There's less sharps digging into it. The odds are a little bit softer. Um, and there's just a lot more value to exploit a lot more unpredictability with, with no world-class names in this field. Um, but still, you know, odds pay out the same. So even if we're not betting on John Rahm and, uh, you know, let's say at 25 to one last week, you were getting Colin Morikawa and this week you're getting Alex Norin and, and, uh, and Adam Svensson. Um, uh, yeah, that's not going to feel great, but at the end of the day, value is relative, um, to the field. Um, and that's what, that's how we have to approach it this week. So 
So getting into the course itself, we are going to PGA National for the first step of the Florida Swing. Uh, we are in Palm Beach Gardens. We are highly exposed to the wind here and even storming conditions. It does tend to rain a lot in, in Florida intermittently. That was a key factor in this tournament um, last year with Sepp Straka just barely getting his birdie and getting out of there on 18 to establish a one-stroke lead on that par 5 over Shane Lowry. And then the skies opened on Shane Lowry. He wasn't able to reach the green in two he complained about it a little bit afterwards that he got, felt he got a little bit unlucky. I think there were things he could have done before the 18th hole to keep himself in contention that he failed to do. Um, and everybody get aided from Daniel Berger um, just completely ejecting out of that tournament because he had it uh, a stranglehold over it and just found water every, every chance he could. And he's basically not been heard from since. So that's kind of interesting to monitor what is going on with Daniel Berger. He's usually at this event. Um, and we've, we're coming on close to like a year that we haven't seen him. So Daniel Berger, if you're out there, let us know. We are looking for you. Um, and hope that we can see you soon, especially on the Florida swing, because that's where he's really, um, been at his best. And he's obviously a, a Florida native guy. Um, so let's see. So, so PGA national is 7,100 yards. Um, but it is nothing like any of the other short courses. I even, I wouldn't even want to call it a short course because all of the yardage is, is really taken out of this course with how many dog legs and just forced layups there are by way of all of the bunkers and all of the, the, the uh, water hazards that are in play. Think of like a concession. I think that's a perfect comp course um, to hear another Florida Jack Nicklaus design that every single tee shot you're hitting, you have to decide if you want to hit towards a bunker, hit towards the water. Um, and obviously Bermuda grass throughout. I think TPC Twin Cities from a driving standpoint, extremely similar to this. TPC Twin Cities far easier um, than PGA National, and I think that's because weather is less of an issue there um, and just why more forgiving greens and, um, you know, like rough, that's going to keep you from rolling into the water as long as you don't, like, completely slice it over there. So it's... I don't love TPC Twin Cities as a comp because it's it's more of a birdie fest for sure. Uh, I believe that's par 72, so you can score a lot more in the par fives. At PGA National, there's only two par fives, 18th being one of them. And, and if the wind is blowing at all, that's a really difficult hole to reach into. So um, I, I think it's a, really a bogey avoidance week. Par is a good score. Cut line is always over par here. So if you just hit greens of regulation to putt your way through this course, you're going to do just fine. There's not really outside of the par fives. I don't think there's a hole um, on this course that averages under par. So it's not like even a Riviera where you step up to the 10th hole and you say, this isn't a par five, but I've got a nice birdie opportunity here. It's really not a hole like that. So you're going to have to hit a couple long putts um, for birdie here. If you want to score, uh, you have to be comfortable on Bermuda. I'm looking at just general um, course history on Bermuda courses in this Florida area. Bermuda can be a little misleading if you're looking at like waste management is technically considered Bermuda. The the stadium course where we had the Amex is technically considered Bermuda. It's more desert and dormant. It's not at all um, the types of conditions we have here where it's a little bit more like swampland, grainy Bermuda uh, that you're used to seeing in the southeast. And I would even extend that to like a TPC Southwind um, in Memphis and Sanderson farms 
in uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, like you know, any anywhere where basically like the the SEC territory. I don't I don't know a better way to describe that that region of the U.S. But anywhere where the SEC schools are playing, if if there's Bermuda there, that's where I'm looking for for recent results, past success. Um, and I think it's especially important this week when we're coming off of the the West Coast swing. Uh, a pretty good opportunity to buy low on some guys who were ball striking it really well, uh, but short game wasn't quite there. I mean, short game at Riviera on Poa Greens and Kikui Rough compared to short game at uh, PGA National where everything is sort of tight runoffs, Bermuda throughout. Uh, you, you almost can't compare them. It's, it's so different. A lot more tight lies here. Totally different game. You'll, you'll see a lot more like Texas wedges, tight runoffs that you're going to putt from off the green. That counts as an around the green stat. Um so just a, a kind of a different game. Um, so course history is important. I'm looking more at comp course history and history in Florida in general, just because there's so much randomness that comes in here when, when weather's at play um, and um, this water is in play that like you can have it a good round. And then all of a sudden you, you double by hitting it into the water and your rounds completely derailed. Um, so I'm of course history is not the end all be all for me this week, but uh, a, a combination of good ball striking and uh, past success on Bermuda. Um, I want those two things to be, you know, it's simple, but if you are coming in here in ball striking form and you've proven to be familiar, ideally from Florida, but familiar with, with good repeated results on Bermuda courses, um, just those two things together is really the basis of what I'm looking for here. Um, it's hard to feel very confident about the top of the board when you look at um, the presumptive favorites this week. Obviously, Sung J M is the number one man this week. He was a 2020 winner here, followed that up with another top 10, but a missed cut in 2022. Um, he's about, I, I guess you can find him as long as 10 to 1 now, which is actually not a horrible price. Uh, you can find him as short as uh, plus 750. So, um, those are the same odds you saw Rom at last week. Again, it's kind of interesting to see. Um, if you weren't betting Rom at 750, why would you bet Sungjae at 750? Is my sort of perspective on it. Um, and then basically double the odds of him as Shane Lowry, your next, your next favorite in this field. Um, and so it's it's basically Sungjae in, in a class of his own. I don't love Lowry here, even though he was a runner up the year before. I just I would like to see a little bit better form for somebody under 20 to one, um, a couple missed cuts before a, a good top 20 showing at Riviera. So I'll probably be a fade on Lowry this week. And then you've got a, a really uncomfortable mix of uh, players in the 20 to 30 range. And that includes these uh, non winners, I guess we'd have to call them it. Aaron wise, Alex Norin, uh, Danny McCarthy, Chris Kirk, Minwoo Lee, um, Horschel, Vegas, and my guy Kucher. So not, none of that's going to feel good, but that's kind of the nature of what this week is. Um, so in general, when I, when I look to, to bet this week, it was hard for me to stomach any of those guys in the 25 to one range. I'm not going to lie. Um, uh, I know it's relative. I know you're going to have to get comfortable being uncomfortable betting these sorts of weeks and stomach some, some really just bad odds. Like, Chris Kirk, I love him here, but the 24 to one, I, what are we doing? I can't do that. So, um, so for me, it, it, this, this was going to have to be a longer card. Um, I think I, I had a total of about nine, nine outrights this week. 
Um, I think that's a good segue into my model itself. So let me let me pull up the Honda Classic sheet here. Um, cool. So I want to start with my model, how I built the model. Um, and let me get that there. Okay, cool. Um, so as I said, Sung JM is the deserving favorite. He's number one on my model. I, I think it would be hard to run a model and not have Sung J be number one. The rest of my top 10, uh, for this week is Ben Griffin, Alex Noren, Shane Lowry, Ben Taylor, Chris Kirk, Charlie Hoffman. Interesting. Um, Thomas Dietrich, Danny Lee, who is now on the Ironheads, so that makes Eric Van Royen uh, slide into that now uh, 10 spot in the model. Um, and then to, to just quickly go into how the model was was sort of composed, uh, comp conditions, as I said, that's going to be difficult scoring conditions, Bermuda conditions, course history, other comp courses where you know difficult off-the-tee shots are going to come into play. Um and, and, and wind exposed courses on the coast. Um, and then, uh, just general difficult scoring conditions. And then I put bogey avoidance and double bogey avoidance in here. Double bogey avoidance is, is a stat that really never really matters. But when you're, when you're playing a course like PGA national, that has one of the highest penalty shot percentages on the PGA tour, double bogey avoidance is, is really going to be like a, a proxy for players who, can walk onto a tee shot and say, there's water on the left. I got to take left out of, out of play. I can't, I'll, I'll miss right, but I, I'm not going to miss left. That's easy for some players to do. It's not easy for other players to do. Um, but double vo- bogey avoidance typically, um, correlates well with like the most accurate drivers, um, guys who aren't going to get them in, in trouble on their first tee shot. And obviously like good approach players too, who were probably going to hit the greens. That's not a revolutionary take, but, um, you know, ball striking is important here. And and if you're a good ball striker, you're probably not going to get into too much trouble, uh, with bogeys, as long as you're not three putting or four putting. Um, so after the comp conditions approach, uh, anytime we're playing on a course with uh, a lot of water, uh, super important to mitigate your misses, uh, and make sure that, uh, if you're, if you need to hit the green, you do, and that you, uh, are not battling a slice that's going to put you, um, on the, the follow-up, uh, drop, drop area. Um, so strokes game approach, very important. Strokes game ball striking, I think is a little bit more important than just general off the tee here. Um, and then proximity from 125 to 200 and showing all of the, the sub ranges in there. Um, that is 30% of the model. And then, uh, around the green for 13%, around the green and scrambling. Scrambling is actually something that's super correlated here um, over the years. Uh, anytime we're on a difficult scoring course where minus 10 is enough to win, um, scrambling tends to be important. You're going to have to get up and down for pars a bunch. Um, so scrambling is, is a, a stat that's going to um, you know capture both um, your, your short game, your, your getting up and down ability, um, but it's also sort of a putting stat or you're going to have a five foot putt and you need to hit those. Um, and then for miscellaneous, I, I was looking at uh, recent form over the last 12 rounds so over the, or yeah, over the last three events, how have you been doing? Um, that's something where in a field like this, where it's not as strong, you might be able to, to catch a couple like, Oh, I didn't realize he was doing that well. Um, so players like Joseph Brandlett, 
uh, Adam Shank, Robbie Shelton is interesting, Peter Malnati, Brandon Wu even. These are all players that wouldn't come to mind as the hottest players in the field to me personally. Uh, but if you look over the uh, uh, more recent sample size, it, it becomes a little bit more um, telling of who's sort of like trending going into this event. Um, and then off the team putting, I didn't know that they're not significantly uh, important stats. And, and putting is something I'm going to be looking more at the Bermuda putting stat. Um, but, you know, you don't want people who are, are hopeless on the green. So I put a very small weight on putting. Um, and, and off the tee, you know, it tough to use that in a vacuum because if you're a pure bomber or you're a pure fairway finding specialist, neither of those things are really ideal here. It's more about like keeping yourself out of trouble. Um, so that is the model in general. And now to go to who I bet this week, um, we will start from the top here. So I have nine guys on my outrights card this week. Again, that that's a, a, a function of me not really feeling excited about anybody under 25 to one. The Norens, the Svensons, the Kirks of the world. Those are all guys that um, popped in my research, popped in the model. Um, I was hoping they would be 30 or 35 to one. If they were, I'd probably bet them. Um, but they weren't. They were a lot shorter than that. And it's not to say that's a misprice, but it's just not a price that I felt like there was much value on. So I started my car with Matt Kuchar. He was the spotlight uh, feature in my tournament preview article, which you can find in the description down below. Um, and happy to get him at 28. I was hoping there'd be a 30, but anything in 25 to 30 range, I was going to bet on Kuchar this week. Picked up his first win here in 20, in 2002. Um, and hasn't played here since 2011. I'm hoping to figure out why that is in the uh, in the press this week of, of what's what was the cause to break the 12-year drought. But in any case, he's playing well. Um, if I had to guess or assume why he's here, I think he's getting older and realizing that he's not a guarantee to make the FedEx Cup playoffs. And so when he puts his schedule together, he has to take advantage of some of these weaker fields where he can still go out and win. Um, that is definitely the case this week. I think he is a top five favorite on most books. Um, so to get 28 to one odds on a top five favorite, that's not always going to happen again. Um, last week he might've had like Justin Thomas as a top five favorite and he was like 18 to one. So, um, that alone I think makes good value. He's from Florida, always plays well in Bermuda greens, a guy who from a short game perspective, um, you know, his, his game kind of stands on its own. You can see he's number one on Bermuda comp courses, top 10 on putting in these Florida Bermuda courses. Um, and the course history is dated, but, uh, when he has come here, albeit decades ago, um, he is very strong. Um, so next, my next bet, uh, Sepp Straka. Um, I would have put him in the same class as um, project, projected betting odds um, as like a Svensson, a Norin, a Kirk. Um, the defending champion here, I was, I was really surprised to see him slip all the way to 50. So this is a value bet for me, not a guy that was fixed on my card like Kucher was uh, regardless of odds. Um, but I would have expected like a 35 to a 40 on Strzok as the defending champ. Um, did not come into this event with really any form. I, I feel like his win came out of nowhere in 2022, and he's had a little bit better signals um, this year. He's climbed his way up to 30th in the world, finished runner-up at the Sanderson Farms, finished runner-up in a playoff to um, Zalatoris at TBC Southwind for the FedEx St. Jude. So it's not to say he won and then fell off the, the planet. Like He, he shows up. 
Um, and he's a player that I love as an outright. I, I don't even know if I'll play him in DFS. I'm not going to play him as a as a placement bet because I think there there's so much volatility with him. Um, but obviously, he can spike here. He's capable of winning here. We could have a KH Lee situation um, where he just shows up once a year, and it's it's on these exact layouts of courses. Um, and every time he comes back, he, he plays well. Um, I believe he had a, a top 30 finish um, before his win last year as well. So it wasn't a flash in the pan, at least at PGA National. Um, but anytime he is on Bermuda Greens, it seems like Straka is capable um, of contending all of a sudden. Uh, he also gained, I want to say, like five strokes on approach at the Century Tournament of Champions. He hasn't been playing a ton this year, but um, even though the results aren't there, anybody who's able to... of Anybody who's capable of gaining that many strokes on approach in that field um, is impressive. So I, I think the form is not as far away as, as people may think, and it's a great value. Uh, ben on course history play, number one in strokes gained total at uh, PGA National. Great driver of the golf ball, great uh, scrambler, not a great putter. I think that's the one thing that's held him back, uh, but it's turning around a little bit. He was in contention at the Sony um, before like a triple on, on the 10th hole on Sunday. Um, so the game's pretty close. He's actually like a, a surprising bomber, um, which I don't think I have uh, driving distance in here. But um, for 65 to 1 to get the number one course history player, I'll, I'll take my chances there in a very weak field. Uh, Hayden Buckley. Hayden Buckley is somebody who um, I love this week. I talk about the SEC courses. He went to Missouri, um, has been playing these sort of SEC area Bermuda uh, Florida area courses uh, throughout college. He's now in his second year on the PGA Tour. Um, and all of his best results have come on Bermuda. His, his, his four best results are between the Sanderson Farms and the Sony Open. Um, and he most recently finished runner-up to Siwoo Kim at the Sony Open, where he, you could tell he just had the driver dialed up on repeat. Um, that'll do here. If you're elite off the tee, that's going to set up a lot of opportunities here. We've seen you go down the list of winners here even, and uh, Sung J.M., Keith Mitchell, Ricky Fowler, Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas at that time. Uh, these are all guys who had complete control over their drives. Um, I think Adam Scott as well is a winner here. So all all players who, um, you know, answer, like, the, the first thing you have to do on each, each hole is is put yourself in position, not, not make a penalty. Um, and you should feel pretty good about Buckley being able to do that. Um, and short game on Bermuda seems to be a strength of his game. So 71, uh, one of my favorite values on, on the board. I thought he might be closer to like 50. Joseph Bramlett, um, trending ball striker, also trending putting. He's been about level putting the last couple weeks, picked up a couple top 15s in his last two starts. Um, so the form alone, I think, is worth the price. We saw before, um, I want to say he's third. In, yeah, he's third in recent form. Uh, seventh and scrambling. That's really interesting for a guy like Bramlett who has a reputation for not being able to putt. Um, and he's not missing greens. He's actually number one in greens and regulation. So if you're number one there and you're top 10 in scrambling, um, that's a great recipe for here when, when all you really need is pars. Uh, this is not a putting contest. Um, so that makes me feel a lot better about Joseph Bramlett. It definitely has that sort of Luke list profile of somebody who can, you know, gain a ton of strokes on the field, uh, ball striking to the point where if you're just level uh, with your short game, you're going to put yourself in position on a difficult course to contend. 
Um, okay, I'll, I'll breeze through the, the bottom here because these are more just just flyers. But SH Kim has played well on the short courses. Uh, was in contention at the Sony, which is a good comp and a good indicator uh, of recent weeks leading in. Same thing can be said about Ben Taylor, someone who gains across all four categories of off the tee approach around the green and putting. Uh, putted great at the Sony, which is the last time we saw him on Bermuda. Uh, so that might be a, an encouraging sign. Somebody that at 7,200 as well on DraftKings, um, I think is one of the better values here. Um, and he was number five in my model this week. So, uh, you know, does well on Bermuda comps, bogey avoidance, double bogey avoidance, keeps the ball in play, um, and can sort of score in a bunch of different areas being so well-rounded. So uh, like Ben Taylor's prospects this year and triple digit odds in this field, I think is too good to pass up. My next bet is going to be Dylan Fratelli here at 130 to one, uh, read it out very well in my model top 30 there, uh, multiple top 20 finishes at the Honda classic and, uh, coming in pretty good form. Um, did just miss the cut on the number at the Genesis, but, uh, before that had a couple, uh, top 40 finishes, someone who has multiple top fives in majors and, uh, has proven that he can, Contend in difficult conditions. Uh, the off-tee game seems to be trending in the right direction, which is always good for PGA National. Uh, my last bet is going to be Kyle Westmoreland. He has become sort of my guy here. Uh, I keep going back to him at like the longest odds on the board, but he's so consistent on approach, which is very rare for somebody who's uh, a driving distance specialist like Westmoreland. who's always going to be top 10 in the field in driving distance, but he's also super consistent on approach. I think in his last uh, seven or eight consecutive measured events, he's gained strokes on approach. Um, he's not a dominant approach player. He's not going to gain five, six, seven strokes in, a, in an event, uh, but he steadily gains a stroke or two on approach. And uh, especially for like a top 40 consideration, I think that's perfect. Um, and when you go into a course like this, yes, it's 7,200 yards or 7,100 yards. Yes, it's... Um, it's not a pure bombers course. It is positional, uh, but that just means he's going to have more like five irons off the tee where other guys are hitting three wood or, or even a full driver. So um, I kind of like that here. I, I like that he has that option to dial it back. Um, that is, um, yeah, that is my full card. That is, that is all nine players. It's, it's a volatile week, so you never know um, what you're going to get, but um, I, I like, I like the squad that we've put together. It is a full squad. Um, so hopefully, you know, Sung JM doesn't pull a John Rom and, uh, take this event by the horns. Um, uh, that's going to do it for me at the Honda classic. Thank you guys, uh, as always for listening in, uh, and best of luck with your Honda classic bets this week. 